0: Welcome to the Nurture and Admonition podcast, the podcast about sharing our faith with our children as we walk along the way. I'm Leanne Davis, pastor's wife, special needs mom, homeschool mom, and I'm joined with um, by Billy Eddy.
1: Yeah, I'm Billy, and I'm a uh, pastoral intern, uh, and I am a master's of biblical master arts and biblical studies student at. Reformed Theological Seminary Global Campus, and I am a uh, husband and a father of a two-year-old daughter.
0: Well, this week we are up to questions number four and five. Question number four is, how do you glorify God? And the answer is, by loving Him and doing what He commands. And question number five is, why do you glorify God? And the answer is, because he made me and takes care of me. So let's just dive right in, Billy.
1: Right. So this question, how can you glorify God? And the answer, by loving him and doing what he commands, uh, this answer is something that uh, I think it's, it's crafted in this way on purpose. Uh, by loving him is the first thing, uh, the, the command to love God. Is is the first way that we're told that we can glorify God. So, why is loving Him seem like it takes priority, uh, or maybe come before the phrase "doing what He commands"?
0: Well, because it's the greatest commandment. You know, this is the greatest commandment that you love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and um, you know, everything flows out of that. Uh, we were even talking before, um, in Romans two, four, you know, when Paul says, you know, did, did you not know that his kindness was meant to bring you to, to call you to repentance? Um, and I think it's out of gratitude that the commandments, you know, flow from that, that you're not, you're not keeping his commandments in order to earn your salvation, but because you are saved, because you've been washed in the blood, um, because you recognize that he has raised you from the dead and um, saved you from your sins and reconciled you to God, uh, the gratitude is just an overflowing of that love.
1: Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's something that we see patterned for us. And I know that this is one of your favorite passages, and it's also one of mine, Ephesians 2. Uh, if we go to Ephesians 2 and we look at Ephesians 2, the way that Paul has set up this passage, verses 1 through 10, in the first, the first three verses, he's speaking of our deadness in sin. Uh, it talks about how incapable we were of obeying God, uh, how incapable we were of loving Him and doing what He commands in our natural state left to ourselves uh, outside, of, uh, outside of union with Christ. Says in verse one, and you are dead in your trespasses, the in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That does not sound very pleasing to God, does it? No. <laughs> but we see verse four. Two of probably two of my favorite words in all of the Bible, but God, right? We see that God interjects himself into into this situation where he finds us dead and he brings us to life. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith not of your own doing it is the gift of god not of not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them so The way that this entire passage is laid out, it talks about our our deadness, our inability because of our sin, because of our natural state. And then once we are made spiritually alive in Christ, then we have the ability to love God, to to reciprocate that love back to God. And so we have all of that being uh, all of that, all of that taking place. But yet it's not our works that creates that uh, union with Christ. It's, it's, it's God himself coming down to us. Mm-hmm. The works come at the end of that passage, though, in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So we should walk in them. So it is out of our love for Christ. It is out of our, our union with Christ. It is out of the salvation that God brings to us that is what causes us to go forward and to do what he commands. Absolutely.
0: I used to have it so backwards uh myself that I I really used to think, "Oh, I just I just love God and he saved me because I loved him so much." And um the more that he showed me my sin and made me aware of just how sinful I was, uh I was like oh no, he loved me even though I hated him. You know, he gave me a heart of flesh and took out that heart of stone. And um, in my mind at that point, like God just became so much bigger that it's not him reciprocating my love, but it's him initiating love. And that's why um, I love the hymn, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Mm -hmm. And I just love that picture of him reaching down to us and i think that's really helpful i I don't always know what to do with good works because we are supposed to do them but at the same time that's not what our salvation is based on so i want to i want to flesh this out a little bit like as christians what are we to do with all the passages the passages that say you know do this and you will live
1: well i mean i think that the way that the way that these commands are set up for us is out of our relationship with Christ, even if we look back at the Old Testament, we see that the Ten Commandments were given to God's covenant people the the people that he that God was in communion with, and these commandments were given. Uh, And if you look at the very first commandments, they were how to love God. They were, they were. And it
0: it started, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it started with, I am the Lord, your God.
1: Who brought you out of Egypt. Who
0: brought you out of Egypt. Exactly. Even the 10 commandments, which I think we all see as like really, and we should see as, you know, high that we can never ascertain, you know, we can never, um, keep the law perfectly, that begins with, I am the Lord, your God, and and the commandments flow out of that relationship, that covenant relationship that we have with him.
1: Absolutely. So our good works, while they do not grant us salvation, while they do not give us bonus points or extra credit before God. Yeah,
0: he doesn't say, uh, hey, keep these commandments and then I'll be your God. Right. The, him being our God s- starts it. It's the yeah. foundation.
1: Absolutely, and so we see that due to our relationship with this living, loving God who created us, uh, we can, in fact, actually obey Him with um, by our actions. We can, now, of course, not perfectly, right? And that's something that I think is is key to uh, to speak with our children about is. Uh, Children, you might have some uh, some children who are more rebellious than others. You might have some that are perfectionist, uber perfectionist, where they just want to obey you all the time and never want to let you down, never want to disappoint you, and and uh, they might fail and beat themselves up. And I think that if we if we if we create god's law as a something that they have to achieve over and over again every day and that they fail if they don't then we're setting them up to beat themselves up over their own failures yeah. and so our our obedience should not be set up in a way where it makes it look like god is angry at us for for disobeying him um although we should strive to obey uh, that's not what grants us our salvation. I think that I think that should be clear, uh, especially if you're in in Reformed circles like we are. Then then we know the uh, the proper place for our good works. It's not to merit our salvation, but it is a way that we can glorify God. And if we love God, if that is what we if that is our goal in life is to to love god and to glorify god because of his salvation that he has given to us mm-hmm. then that should uh, have kind of this this natural outflow of good works should result naturally in good works
0: yeah i think this is the reason that in um, in our church and in reformed churches we are always preaching the gospel you know, because in the tradition that I grew up in, the gospel was just kind of seen as the gateway to the church. And once you heard the gospel, you you moved beyond it. You got into more um, mature theology or, or doctrine for training. And it was very different for me when I, when I married, um, you know, Scott, who's the pastor of our church, and kind of learned that, no, every time that you break the commandments, every time that you fail, every time that you're not, um, you know, that you're sinning, it's, it's ultimately because you're not believing the gospel. You are not fully trusting in God and that he has, uh, you know, covered you with his righteousness. And that's been a big mind shift for me. Um, Just, uh, I always say we don't, we don't become sanctified by like pulling ourselves up by our, our, bootstraps. We become sanctified by falling more in love with Christ because that actually, that actually changes our hearts, like recognizing the greatness of what he has done, how far he came down, uh, to save us from our sins and, and reconcile us to God and, and to himself and, and just exactly what it is that he did for us—that is what uh, breaks our hearts and brings us to repentance, and uh, and and changes us and strives us to do better to be to be worthy of that. You know, the Apostle Paul, when you read the epistles, it's always—you know—he doesn't tell the Corinthians, "Hey, you guys, better think through whether you're really saved if you would act like that or not." You know, he says...
1: Which of of all of the the churches, it would be the Corinthians. And it wouldn't be
0: the (laughs) Corinthians. He's like, no, no, no. Remember that you are washed. Remember that you have been saved by the blood of Christ. And he lays out this, you know, just beautiful picture of everything that Christ has done. And he says, and you have to walk in a manner worthy of that. And he doesn't ever call them to question their salvation, but he does remind them of who they belong to, who they are, where where their identity lies, and that their behavior should be a reflection of that.
1: Right, and and for myself, growing up in a context where I went to a independent fundamentalist Baptist uh, private school mm-hmm. for a majority of my uh, my childhood, I I was. I was told to question my salvation because they found a copy of a green day CD <laughs> in my backpack. <laughs> and, um, yeah. It, uh, that was oh, a Billy. long, uh, yes, I was a horrible, horrible person. Oh. And I was, I was called to question my salvation and it was never anytime, anytime the, the idea of, of legalism tries to creep in. It doesn't say, look at how big God is. Uh, it does. It says, look at how well you could be doing, you know, if you just keep trying harder. And I think that one of the beautiful things about the Reformed faith is the fact that God is made so big that the idea of obeying God doesn't become like this, maybe if I just try a little bit harder, I can reach it. But by acknowledging how depraved I am as a person, how, how sinful I am, and the fact that I mean, even the the most important commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Well, guess what? I can't do that at all. I can't love God with all of my heart for even just a second. And so I think that once we get this distinction between who God is and who we are and um, seeing how big God is and that he actually doesn't need us, I think that. I think that once we put ourselves in the right place, then uh, we see that God actually came down and saved us when He didn't need us. That's a loving God. That is an incredibly loving God that would that would choose to communicate to to have this relationship with uh, unworthy humans like us, like me. Um, and once once I see the love of God in that in 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 the the fact that he actually cares for us he he numbers the hairs on our heads he he actually is involved in our life. He didn't just kind of kick start the world and then leave it running and walk away. He's actually intricately involved in each one of our lives uh this gives me a reason to want to glorify him because I do not deserve that kind of attention from an almighty infinitely powerful God, but yet he, he does it anyway because he's an awesome God. And so how can we glorify God by loving him and by doing what he commands? Mm-hmm. I want to obey this God because he is an awesome God because he wants what's best for me. And I know that because he tells us in his scriptures mm-hmm. that that he, he cares about us. Uh, and so I think that I think that once we get an idea of who God is, how big He is, then that is what actually spurs on motivation to obey Him. It's not if you if you if you set the bar, High and say that you can achieve this if you work really hard. Then I'm just going to get discouraged because I haven't been able to achieve it my entire life. Right. But once once I see that oh that's not the role that good works play. Good role uh, the role that good works play in our lives is to glorify the God who loves you who is so much bigger than you but He loves you anyway. Once I see that that is the reason why I'm doing good works, then that spurs me on to do more good works.
0: Yeah. Well, to go back to the Ephesians passage, you know, the good works that God has prepared in advance that you should walk in them, you know, the, even all of your good works are, are his gracious blessing to you. And, and if you want to do good works, you know, that that by the power of the spirit, he gets glory for that too, because you don't want to do good works on your own, right? you yeah. know, and it's only through his empowerment and the spirit living in you that you would ever desire to do good works. And so God gets all the glory for that too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and our good works, uh, as, as Martin Luther famously said, uh, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does, right? Like our, our good works are, um, they are needed by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They're needed by our family members. They're needed by our children. They're needed by um, people on the streets who we don't even know. Uh, they need our good works. We need to be a bright light shining in the darkness, the city on a hill that uh, Jesus talks about in, in Matthew. I think that our good works uh, that are inspired and and. Um, given to us by Christ, anyway. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, I, can I jump in? Yeah, for just absolutely. a second. I I think that maybe we should um, flesh out exactly what we mean by good words. Okay. Yeah. You know, and like, and what is it exactly that he commands? You know, is it just being good all the time, and you know, not uh, not, not doing drugs? <laughs> you know, listening to Green Day.
1: Don't, yeah, not
0: listening to Green Day. And, uh, you know, what exactly does it mean by, by good works? What are, what are the commandments that he calls us to keep? What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of, um, you know, our savior?
1: Yeah. So, um, if we wanted to, uh, if we wanted to, there's of course the, the 10 commandments, we have the, um, the the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment to love God and love people, right? Um, and these are um, these are things that God has called us to do as as His people, um, as as His sheep. And it's so much more than just kind of like a checklist, right? A lot of times we can treat the Ten Commandments like a like a checklist. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you, done this? Have you not done this? Have you not done this? And that is so it's so burdensome because it puts all of the focus on ourselves. It turns us inward on ourselves rather than turning us towards Christ and uh, looking at his active obedience on our behalf. Um,
0: Yeah. Trying to keep the commandments can kind of become its own sort of navel gazing. Like I haven't broken any of the 10 commandments today. Look at me. I'm making a joyful noise to the Lord, you know, and, and it's really just about us feeling it, we can make it where it's just about us feeling like we're really doing, Oh, look at these master, all these I've kept, right. you know, as the rich young ruler Absolutely. says. And, uh, that's, that's not really, uh, that's not really what it's about. But I, I think in, you know, in humility, um, recognizing, I think uh, recognizing what is, what is good, recognizing that we don't do it perfectly. Um, but, pursuing it anyway and just trusting that the lord redeems all of that. He redeems all of our impure motives, you know, and um and w- we just have to I don't know, for myself like for somebody who is a perfectionist and and always wants to wants to be perfect, you know, and I I have to remember that um it's it's good uh just to I don't know. My motives don't always have to be perfect in order to do good things like the Lord is redeeming, actively redeeming all of that.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think that later on, when we get to our our memory verse that we're going to use for this passage, I want to quote it right now, but we'll come back to it. It's Micah 6, 8. He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this leaves out any sort of legalism or any sort of uh, navel gazing that can be caused by thinking that you've somehow mastered the Ten Commandments. Yeah. I mean, I that gets kicked out with walk humbly with your God, right?
0: Right. Um, it reminds me of when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees in Matthew uh, and he says, You know, y'all are straining out a gnat and. Neglecting the the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. You know that they uh, they would rebuke and be offended that Jesus actually healed somebody on the Sabbath, or that you know a lame man who who has always been paralyzed can can walk and carry his mat on the Sabbath, um, and yet they they're completely neglecting justice and mercy. You know they're so. They're so focused on everything that they've added to the law that they don't even see the point of the law. Yeah, you know that it's that it's goodness and and justice and mercy, and um, one of the things that we were talking about before was John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And um, you know, my husband was reminding me that when it says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments," it's not you will obey them perfectly. But it's if you love me, you will cherish my commandments. You will value them. You will cling to them. And I'm somebody who really can fall into despair about my sin. And that that's really helpful for me to remember, you know, that he knows our he knows our frame. And that honestly I've had to, to realize that it's actually a good thing when we hate our sin like that is a sign of the spirits work in us um you know it's like Scott says uh the the people who don't struggle with their sin are unbelievers you know so just the fact that you you hate it and you wish that you didn't do it and and you just long to be better that that is a sign of your salvation it's not caused to make you doubt your salvation but it's it's caused to make you praise Jesus Thank you that you have given me a heart that can love good and right things and hate bad things.
1: So I think this, if we if we're looking at uh, question four, how can you glorify God? God by loving Him and doing what He commands? That's good to know how, but a lot of times people need to know more the how more than the how. They need to know the why. And so the yeah. why, if we look at question five, why are you to glorify God? Because he made me, and He takes care of me. So, uh, I think that this this brings us back almost to it's basically to the beginning. Question one: Who made you, God? Uh, and then question three: Why did God make you and all things for His own glory? So, the fact that we were made, we were created, we were knit together in our mother's womb. We were made intricately because we are to glorify God. That's that's why. We were made. And so why are you to glorify God? Because we were made to glorify God. And also, not just that, but we were also made and we are taken care of by this same God that we are to glorify. So uh, we see if we look at Matthew 6, especially at the end of that this passage here, that it talks about it talks about anxiety and anxiety. Um, being being anxious and jesus says in matthew six twenty five. therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they and so i think that this perfectly answers this question we are to glorify God because he made us and he takes care of us, just like he takes care of the birds of the air, uh, just like he takes care of the lilies of the field later on in that same passage. It talks about uh, the uh, other creation and the fact that, that we were made in the image of God. If God cares about the birds and the, the flowers, then, of course, he's going to care about us. And that is cause for us to glorify God.
0: Yes, absolutely. I affirm everything that you just said. Yeah, and I have nothing to add. Uh, yeah, no, it, it really, it, it does, it takes us right back to, you know, God made you on purpose. And, and you know, we were kind of talking um, last week about how the creation gets more specific down to God's, like, almost crowning achievement, you know, that he created man in his own image. And that is such a special thing. Um, And, but he's such, he's such an intimate God. He's such a God who so cares for his creation um, that he even loves and remembers the sparrows and the lilies in the field, but how much more he gave you his image. So how much more does he care for you and me?
1: If that's not enough to make you want to glorify God, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else (laughs) can motivate you at this point. Um, So I think it's good that we move into our our head, heart, hands segment. If we think that, uh, all right, so how does this change the way that we think? Uh, how do how do these two questions and answers change uh, the, the way that we we think about things, the way that we think about ourselves, or think about others?
0: How does it change the way you think about yourself, or, or how does it how does it change the way that you think about God, Billy? I guess that's
1: yeah. So if if we're um, looking at these questions, then then we we can see that God is doing this. God is has created all of these things for his own glory and so if we know that that's the purpose that we were made for then then any sort of fighting against that is going against our, our own our own purpose right and so fighting against our own purpose is is not going to create a uh, a, a situation where we can flourish we we can we we flourish by Doing What we were made to do, which is to glorify God. And so uh, and, and that's not just for the good times. But that's also for the bad times as well. That's for uh, for the times of global pandemic. That's for the times of of personal trial of financial difficulty. And so I think that if we if we are communicating this to our children we need to make sure that they know that God isn't just caring for you in the times that are quote unquote good times, but also in the hardships and the trials that God is there and that God does care for you, despite the things that you might be going through in your own personal life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because in this life we'll have trouble, yeah, you know, as it, as it says, and, um, and, he's working together all things for our good. You know, he's talking about Jesus there. He's talking about our salvation, you know, and ultimately everything is for our good. And we may not, we do not, in fact, have the whole picture of that in this life. Like we can't even fathom or understand, you know, everything um, that he's working together in this life and how he's caring for us. I, I don't think that our human intellect is even capable of really comprehending everything that he is 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 doing to care for us and to bring about our good. But one day it's all our faith will be sight and it will all be revealed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so how how should the question and answer here 4 and 5? How should they change the way that we feel maybe about God or about our own good works, about about others? How how does this change the way that we feel?
0: Yeah, I think that just kind of like in parenting like feeling that you are it's done it's finished you are loved and accepted and covered you know and reconciled um all all of that it it does drive you when you recognize just like I said before the the hugeness of what god has done for you it just really changes your heart and and makes you makes you grateful it brings you to your knees to to know oh my goodness he saved me even though even though I didn't even ask for him to save me you know he was he was working things for my good even as I was shaking my fist at him and running away from him and that really drives you to love what he loves and what does he love he loves his creation you know and that I think that's why loving your neighbor is the second greatest commandment. It is a natural overflow of loving God because he loves us. Yeah.
1: All right. So uh, I think that.
0: Yeah. So for emphasizing it for. Our
1: kids, yeah. We should, when we are communicating with our kids about how this should change the way that they feel uh, that they, they should not feel like God is a distant God who's just kind of sitting up there mad at all of his children for our disobedience, but that, that God is a, actually a loving father who wants what's best for his children and that, uh, what's best for us is actually to live in a way that glorifies God. And so I think that that should change the way that we feel about our God. He is a holy almighty God, but not a distant God, not a stone cold, mean God. Um, and so I think that that should change the way that, the way that we, Uh, we feel towards, towards our God and towards, towards each other as well.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a little like, um, I forget the name of the character, but in Don Quixote, you know, in his little sidekick, (laughs) you know, and it's when God asks you to do something, how do you say no when he did everything for you? Yeah. You know, when you when you reflect on that, it's like my whole life is yours. You Mm -hmm. made it. And, you know, I want to say, too, about his commandments that I, I used to just think, oh, I get so tired when I was a kid of like, oh, God just doesn't want me to have any fun, you know, and I really had to come to understand, no, God created me knowing exactly what's best for me and he does not ask of me anything that is not for my good. You know, and if I think that it's not good, if I think that it's not, you know, all oh, oh, that just sounds so I don't know tiresome or you know whatever it was that I was thinking it was, all these bad things about it. The problem was with my the way with my thinking and the way that I was thinking through it. It the problem was with my heart. It was not with his commandments.
1: Yeah. And I think that leads perfectly to hands. How should we, what what should we do now that we understand these questions and, and how can we spur on our kids to, to glorify God? And I think that uh reminding them uh that the motivation uh the reason why we do good things for our neighbors the reason why we do good things for uh for our for our children uh the reason why our children are are nice and uh are doing good things for their friends at school or anything like that the 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 reason why we're doing these things is to glorify god and that's that's the the main reason it's not uh that is the reason that trumps any other reason right It's not to get uh, any sort of extra points or anything like that not to uh, be a better person than your sibling right there's no it's not done out of out of rivalry but purely out of uh, a way to glorify God and so, That should change the way that we interact with people, that we shouldn't be trying to compare ourselves, our own good works, to somebody else's good works, saying, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good because I've done more than this person has done. And so I think that reminding our children of that is is so essential, especially if there's any sort of sibling rivalries.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think think we've just about covered – uh you know what we wanna say about questions four and five, and uh y- you mentioned before, but i 'll go back over our memory verse for the week is Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your god that's beautiful it is. that's we're gonna have a fun time learning that. <laughs> this week. And uh, if you want to um, you know learn a hymn with your children this week, the the hymn that we're going to be learning um, in our house is in the Trinity Hymnal it's number 2, O oh, Worship the King, which is a wonderful beautiful old hymn. So Anyway, do you have anything else to add, Billy?
1: Um I I do not.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for joining us and listening to the Nurture and Admonition podcast. Nurture and Admonition is a member of the Assurance of Pardon Network. Assurance of Pardon is a network of podcasts about the gospel, the Bible, and the church. If we've mentioned any resources on today's show, you can find links to those resources in the show notes or at our website, nurtureandadmonition.com. We hope that today's episode has been an encouragement to you. If it has, please like, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram as well at Nurture and Admonition.